welcome to the Kingdom Truth Podcast. On our podcast, we teach the good news of Jesus Christ and biblical principles that empower all people with real-life, timeless applications. I am your host, Bible teacher, Yolanda Tyler. Well, praise the name of the Lord, everybody. We are so blessed to have a beautiful young lady joining us on today. Her name is Donna Harris. Donna candidly shared with us on part one of the podcast, the fact that her mom's boyfriend made inappropriate sexual advances towards her as a child, and he raped her. The sexual abuse continued for years. And finally, one day, Donna knew that she had to run away and remove herself from that horrible home situation. Thank you so much for joining us, Donna. And if you would please just go ahead and finish sharing your testimony. I'm not sure where we left off the other day, but yes, I did finally leave when I was 14 years old. And finally, um, the day I was sent out once again to do everything for the home, I decided that that was the day. It wasn't a planned day or anything. That wasn't the day I planned on leaving or anything. I just knew in regards to seeing her boyfriend laying in the bed naked, um, I knew that I was going to not be back at that house again. And so you leave Donna and you run away and then share with us what happens when you're out there. Okay, so because I I wasn't allowed to be outside or I really wasn't around allowed around the rest of my family. So I really didn't have friends or anything like that. So that day when I left, I just started walking. There was no plan. I just started walking and knew that I just needed to get further away from that house and the direction of that store in the area where they wanted me to shop. So I walked and I walked for hours. I, I, I can't even say how many hours I was walking, but I ended up in an, on the far side of the south side, maybe I'm going to say more than 10 miles away from the house, just walking. And I um, went and got on the L, the train. We call it the L in, in Chicago. And I got on the train and I still didn't have a plan. I was just on the train. I had the money uh, from shopping and I still was scared to get off the train because I was so scared somebody was going to see me and make me go back to the house or somebody was looking for me to take me back to the house. So I rode the train back and forth from each side of town, from Evanston, Illinois, all the way back to the south side. I was just going back and forth on a train. And then I was approached. At one point, I was approached by a married guy. He started talking, not in an offensive way or sexual way or anything like that. And he ended up riding the train just talking to me for a few trips or whatever, or rounds, I want to call it. And he ended up being somebody who kind of took care of me for a while. I know it was just, I, I just, I was so scared of being caught. I wasn't scared of being away. I was afraid of being caught to have to go back. So eventually this guy ended up getting me an apartment in Chicago and 
he made me go to school um, back then. Please, anybody could, en could enroll you in school pretty much. And that's what he did. He enrolled me in school. I was living, I can't say I was okay, because I was living in fear all the time, every day. Like, to me, any day was the day the police was looking to take me back to the house. But um, I would skate on the north side of Chicago, and I was picked up for curfew. I was so afraid. I remember to go back to that house that um, I shut down. Like, I, I never talked. I wouldn't speak. I wouldn't acknowledge people speaking to me. They put me in a, a runaway home on the west side of Chicago, which I was definitely not uh, familiar with the west side of Chicago or anything. But they thought that something was wrong where I couldn't talk or someone probably couldn't hear. But once you get there, you go to a doctor, to the hospital, and they check you over and everything. And they knew something was wrong because there was nothing wrong with my vocals or anything. So they knew that I probably just wasn't talking for whatever reason. They thought that I had seen something horrific, but they didn't realize it was me. What I've been through was horrific and I didn't want to go back. And I was so determined that actually shut down. Wow. And then eventually you said, so you got picked up for curfew. You go to this <laughs> runaway home and then you eventually meet a worker who eventually tie you back in with your family, correct? Correct. So once you get to this home, it was the uh, Volunteers of America, as I remember it now. The following day, you're connected to one of the, the workers there. And you have to go in and see her like once or twice every week. So when I got to her, or when she met me, um, it's still inside that house. Her office was inside of the home, the group home. And she said, I don't know why you won't talk. I know you can. And for whatever reason you won't. Um, she told me that eventually that I was going to have to leave there. I was allowed to leave and go out, but I just wouldn't. I was just too scared to get caught, to get taken home. So nevertheless, some time went by, a couple of months or something, I'll go by. And she's telling me, okay, well, they're going to send you out of here. They're sending you out of Chicago, out of Illinois. And you're going to be put in a home and, and that's going to be it. I don't know why you won't talk. And it was, she was like, this is it. This is our last time we're going to talk. And I just started bawling. I wasn't crying because I was leaving. I just, I was at that point, um, I'm way too stressed out. You know, as I look at now, but as kids, you're just thinking. And I don't know, nobody, nowhere. It, it felt like it was going to be jail to me. I've never been in a jail before or nothing. So that's what it felt like. And I just started talking. I told her my name and I told her that if you try to make me go back, I'll run again. I, I won't go back inside the house. I will not go to the house in front of the house or otherwise. So I was telling her about my auntie. I was telling her about um, my sister. I was telling her that I had a family and that going home was just not going to be an option. So sure enough, my caseworker for the state of Illinois, she came and got me. And I guess uh, the, the social worker at the home, Ms. Cruz at the home, found my auntie and sister some kind of way. I don't, I don't know how that happened, but I went to court. And 
we were sitting there. It was almost my time to go up there. And I turn around and I see my auntie and my sister sitting back there. And I'm telling you, I had so much, so many emotions when I saw them. I I could have fell out, but my auntie's embrace is what held me from doing that. That's how broken I was when about the time I saw them. I was just the crying, the I was trying to tell her everything almost in one sentence. And it, it was crazy. It, I, I had never, and to this day, I don't think went through an emotion quite like that like I did in that moment, because I'm never going to forget it. Wow. Now, after you see them in the courtroom, they have you go back home with them. And then tell us what happens after your grandmother starts urging you to go back to make it right with your mother. Okay. So that day, the state of Illinois awarded my sister custody of me. And I lived with my sister. Now, mind you, I'm still thinking I have, I'm going to go home. Like if my mother show up and say she got to come home, that's how my, my brain is. I'm thinking that I'm going to go home. I'm, I'm still a kid. I don't, I don't know the, the rules or the nothing. So I go to my sister's house and of course I'm around the family now because that wasn't something that I did when I was living at the house with my mother. So her mother, of course, my grandmother, kept saying to me, you have to fix what what happened with, with your mother. You have to fix it. You have to talk to her. You have to. And over the years, I, I'm not saying that I did it right away because I didn't. I was just, I would say, okay, just to stop her from talking. But now I'm around her. Every a few days a week, I'm seeing her and she's constantly kind of putting that into me. Like, you gotta talk to her. So finally, yes, I, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. Now I'm a little bit older, so I didn't feel as scared, right? I felt in the house, I felt like I, you know, like I couldn't win, not, no fight or nothing. But these are people at, at this house who I grew up thinking they wanted to kill me. Um, I hadn't seen my brother and I hadn't seen, I have a younger brother, uh, but I hadn't seen him in so long. But I said, okay, I'm going to go. My grandmother's wish was for me to go. And over the time, she all she talked about was me going to see her. So I did. I went back to the house and it was rough. It was rough just walking up to the house because I never thought that I would come even back up those stairs, that front porch. Like in my head, I could just see the day um, when I got to the house. Before I even went in, I saw my little brother and he was outside. He wasn't in front of the house. He was at the left further down to the house. And I said, I'll see him when I come out. I wanted to see my mother. So I knock on the door and I ring the bell because nobody answered first. Nobody came to the door, but I knew that they were in there, or at least I thought she was. So I, her boyfriend answers the door and I simply said, I want to see her. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to even greet him. I don't want to do none of that. So he said, your mama is up in the attic, which was normal because that's where she kind of spent her time. Nevertheless, attic is our third floor, not counting the basement. So I go upstairs and now I, I'm on the platform of the, the second floor 
where the bedrooms are. And now I'm getting ready to go up the stairs. And I clearly know that her boyfriend is behind me. So as I approach the stairs to go into the attic, he yanks me from behind back down to the landing of where the bedrooms are. And so, of course, I'm going to hit the floor because he just yanked me down around, I want to say, five steps backwards. And I was assaulted again. But he was hitting me um, so hard. I lost consciousness. So I, I can't even say that part of the story because I don't know. I just know that I my flashes or memories or however you say it of him still on top of me with no clothes on and my shirt is pulled up. I don't have on any anything past my waist. I don't even have. And by the time I came to or remember again, I don't even see him. I'm just getting up and I'm going back down the stairs. I'm I'm walking down the main stairs to go out of go out the house. And I gather whatever my stuff was on the floor. I remember my stuff being out of my my little backpack that I carried. And I kind of scooped it in and I still couldn't say where he was. I don't know if he was even in the house, to be honest. I, I don't remember that part. And I left. And that was the last day I was ever at that house. Wow. And now you leave and you go back to one of your family North members' South. houses. Yes, my auntie. I went to my mother's youngest sister's house. Yes. Go to her house and then a few months pass and now you're feeling sick it wasn't even a few months it was like maybe one month or something but well I was already shut down because I didn't tell anybody what happened I don't even know if my mother was even in the house I I, I don't know she never said anything she I never seen her and I just been at my auntie house and once again I'm reserved I've reserved myself in inside. Like I don't want to be outside. So I'm at my auntie house and I started getting sick. And she was like, what is wrong with you? Well, why are you sick? What's wrong? And I was like, I don't know. And, but my auntie who had three kids, she definitely picked up on something. And she took me to this little clinic on the North side. And sure enough, we sat there and that man said, you're pregnant. And it felt like not denial, it felt like um, I really can't explain. I felt like he don't even know what he's talking about. That's that's kind of where my mind went. Because now my auntie is sitting here and she said, I knew it. And she was like, who was the daddy? I was like, I don't know. Of course I knew. But there was no way I was getting ready to tell them. So um, we go back to her house and I'm like trying to lie. I'm like, I don't know. I got, I got a lot of boyfriends. I was just saying anything. It was it was bad. <laughs> so, but when I did finally tell, I started telling one of my really good friends who hadn't spoke to me in quite a while. I told her, I told a couple of people. And then I did. I, I told my sister. I told my auntie, who, of course, called another auntie. I have so many aunties and uncles and everything in, in Chicago. However, um. Everybody started, of course, on one accord without except me. Everybody, every single person I knew, including my friends, everybody in my family told me to go have an abortion. At one point, um, two of my friends took me to the abortion clinic 
and I wouldn't go in. My family was like, it's no way you can have a baby. You can't do this. You can't have this baby. No. And everybody's um, telling me just go have an abortion. In those days in Chicago, if you got $200, you can just go to the abortion clinic without a question. On the south side of Chicago, it was nothing. But I couldn't do it. I was a kid that was smart enough to know I'm not killing no baby. I don't care what happens. I'm not going to do that. Amen. And so it felt like um, I didn't even understand the magnitude of what was going on. At that age, you don't connect. My mother and me would have a baby by the same person. You don't connect like that because your mind is not mature enough. Amen. But that's what my auntie and I was saying. They were like, you can't. So you got to go have an abortion. And then you keep wasting time. You're not going to be able to. But you're going to go take it. I mean, I had aunties yelling, cussing at me. I had people saying, oh, you must have wanted this to happen then. You ain't going to have no abortion. I'm like, I'm not having it. I'm not doing it. Amen. So I ended up calling. I don't even know who I was started calling. But I knew that I started making calls, trying to figure out where to go, what to do, because I didn't feel accepted by not even one person, not not anybody, not a friend, not a family member. So I ended up going to Crittenton Counseling Center in Peoria, Illinois. That's still there today. And you go there as a young pregnant girl and you have your baby and then you can do an adoption. I said, OK, I'll do that. But I'm definitely. I hope I don't get here and they secretly try to give you abortion because that's how your mind is as a young teen. You you don't know. It may feel like you know what's going on, but you don't know. You don't you don't understand the magnitude of different situations like that. So there I was. I was living in Peoria. I finally had a peace of mind. Amen. I finally was able to be around like-minded women or girls. I was the youngest one in the house at that time. But those women was like, I was hearing stories of women who everybody was telling them to get abortions too. And they were like, no. And I didn't even think about, well, I'm a kid making a kid decision. I'm like, all I knew is this baby is going to be born. Amen. Yes, that's all I cared about. And that was so beautiful because even though you weren't a believer, the Lord just his hand was upon you. His hand was upon that unborn child at the Absolutely. time. Then I went on to have my son. I named him Donovan after me. He was born 11 pounds, very healthy baby. And I still went through the adoption, even though it was very difficult because he was still my baby. I didn't care how he became my baby. He was still my baby. So it was still difficult. But I went through with that. And uh, the day that we went to court, so you you can make a choice when you're going to do an adoption to take care of this baby until they're adopted out. Or sometimes when you're in the hospital, the, if you already, if somebody already want to adopt them, that's done. And then once you leave that hospital, you don't see him anymore. He's going to go straight to the parents. And that's what I chose. Like, I can't take them with me and then give them up like that. So... I did. I decided to do it the other way. Um, so I remember being in the courtroom and a judge was like, if somebody 
he'll ask like, is somebody threatening you to do this? If you've been doing this against your will, whatever, whatever. And you just have to answer no. And you're holding the baby while you're talking. That's kind of the procedure. And then once you answer the questions and say and agree to everything, you pass the, the baby to your social worker right here next to you. I remember on that day passing Donovan over to her and I just had to, I couldn't even look anymore. I didn't want to see that scene anymore. So I turned around and I walked out and I could hear Donovan crying. I could hear him. And I don't know why I kept hearing it, but I walked out the courthouse, down the stairs, down the street. And there I was, I was walking. It was the same way it felt first of walking when I left home. I didn't know where I was going. I just know I had to go. And I can just hear all the way. I know this part was in my mind now, but in that day, it was real. It was really that loud to me in that day. But I kept walking and I finally stopped. And I was so tired that I just got to this car and I started bawling. I was crying so hard that my heart was racing. But when I got to that car, I just fell apart. And my head is on the car and I'm kind of, I'm just linked on the car crying, sobbing, crying so horribly. And I felt somebody come up behind me and just hug me. I don't even know if it was a woman, a man, a kid. I don't, I just felt a physical hug. Embrace. Amen. Embrace. And I didn't even look to see who it was. I just assumed whoever car I was leaning on, they were like, what's going on or something. Wow. And I remember I, I just got up. I, I wasn't like laying on the car. I was linked on the car. And I remember I just pulled myself together and I walked away. And as I walked away, I looked back to the car. I wasn't that far. I, I was looking right back at the car and there was not even one person there. Wow. We believe that was the angel of the Lord. Now, yes. Now, definitely, yes. Because this was something that I felt. I was a kid and I felt like somebody was hugging me, almost crying with me type of hug. And I was, when I turned around, I just said, oh, okay, maybe whoever it was just wanted me to get off the car or something. I don't know. So now you give birth to a beautiful, healthy baby boy give him yes. up for adoption. And now, of course, you're still angry. You still want revenge and you're enraged at your mom and her boyfriend. So talk about how the Lord drew you to him to eventually come to a point in your walk where forgiveness became real to you. So for, the, like you said, for the longest, I was very, very angry. Like I could physically commit murder type of anger. And I carried it proudly because it was the only thing I can think of. In fact, I told my dad what happened because I knew that he would find him. It was the only goal that I had. I didn't have a goal. Oh, I'm going to go live and go be better and go do this. I didn't have nothing. My mind was completely consumed by the idea of killing for myself. Like, I didn't want somebody else to do it. I wanted somebody else to let me know when I can't, you know, when it's safe to do it, where I wouldn't get caught or something. But I carried that anger for so long. My my younger brother finally took him out of town somewhere in the, into the military with him. And 
This is your mom's boyfriend. Yes. Yes. He took him into the military and where he was in the military, we didn't know. So I went on to Milwaukee. I moved to Milwaukee. I, I just wanted to come out of Chicago. I, I was so angry, so broken and angry without even acknowledging that it was something wrong because I was wearing it proudly. Anybody, I would say it to anybody, anywhere, please, I'll kill them. It's nothing. I'm carrying the wounds of what happened, but I'm using it as a shield and I'm not thinking about none of that. So I was just thinking, I'm going to get my revenge and that was going to be great. And then that was it. I never thought about, I'm going to go to church, find the Lord, because he already had his hand on me and finally come back to my real father and be able to say, okay, this is it. Okay, I forgive him. I'm in church now. I forgive. I didn't. I just said what I thought needed to be said at church. And there is a big difference to say it and mean it. There is definitely a difference because at first it was just something I said because, oh, well, you're supposed to say that. But there was a time, the time came where I had to really forgive. By this time, they're both dead. My mother and her boyfriend both are dead. And I had to forgive my mother and him knowing that I would never receive an apology, which was very important to me. I had to forgive somebody that wasn't even alive. That that seemed crazy to me until I did it. The release that I felt leave me. It, it was like a like a, a weight. It, it is like a weight. You know, you hear people say it and it seemed kind of cliche. Oh, it was like a weight on my back, but it really is. It is a stronghold. That's a testimony that you're supposed to use to let other people know that if God can do it for me, he's going to do it for you too. Amen. Because he did it for me. And you can get through it. You can. I'm not saying it. Look how many years it took. Years, 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 lifetimes. Lifetime. I held on to that. When she first passed, I was angry. I'm like, man, I never going to hear her say I'm sorry. Or not that she was going to even say it in my mind. It was just something I felt like she was going to say. But now I have to figure out how to forgive. How to forgive somebody that has passed on. I did. And now I'm free. Amen. Long as you're just saying it, you're not free. You know when you're just saying it because it's an expectation and you know when you're doing it. Amen. And you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for you. Amen. And that's the difference. Amen. So now you know, but true forgiveness is really all about you're walking in freedom. Yes. And if anyone were to mention any of their names, you can talk about it. You're not angry about it. You can share about it. That's exactly how we're able to have this conversation now. Because before forgiveness, this conversation would have been a lot different. It would have been a lot different, a lot more anger you would have heard. Because when you and your mess and you angry and you you holding on to stuff, you and your that's mess, you're in it. You you don't care. You don't care to be free. I care to please God. Amen. That's important to me. How could I please God? And then the other hand, I'm thinking, oh, I wish I just had an opportunity to do something, kill somebody. How can I entertain that thought with, with so much pleasure, the, just the entertaining of the thought of hurting somebody? But how could I do that but still in turn and say, I love the Lord? 
Yeah, do it. What we'll do right now, Donna, is I'll close out in prayer for someone who's struggling with unforgiveness in their hearts. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for this podcast. We thank you for Donna and her life and sharing her testimony with our listening audience, Father. Father, we lift up anyone who is struggling with unforgiveness. We pray, Father God, that you give them that spirit of release that you remove the heaviness from their hearts right now in the name of Jesus. We praise you in advance for what you're doing. And we thank you, Father, right now, in Jesus' name. So Donna, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I appreciate your time and God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Truth Podcast with Bible teacher Yolanda Tyler. Please subscribe to our podcast so you will know when the next episode is published. To hear more biblical teachings and give to support the ministry, please visit our website at www.thekingdomtruth.org. That is www.thekingdomtruth.org. God bless you until we meet again.